If you would turn to Matthew, we have been in our series in Matthew now for quite a while and continuing. And this week we are concluding with chapter 9 and making our way a little bit into chapter 10. And if you look with me, beginning in verse 35, Matthew is, in his gospel, giving us, showing us the life, the person and work of Jesus Christ. His kingdom has come when he came, when God incarnate, Jesus came into the world, and he is bringing that kingdom to bear upon the lives of men and women and children, and people are being transformed by this man who will soon who'll soon be on a cross. Look with me in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And if you look back to chapter 4, verse 23, these exact words began what was before the, ser- the Sermon on the Mount, and then we get into all of the healing miracles, Jesus calming the storm, and this concludes that section. These, this verse 35 concludes, and then verse 36, when he saw the crowds, for many were following him, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Father, we, we see in your word once again the glory of Christ. His care, His compassion, His authority, His power. And it's to His authority, to Your authority, Lord, as we read Your Word, as we stand under Your Word, that we submit ourselves to Your, the truth of Your Word this morning. Lord, speak to Your church, I ask. Care for Your people. Shepherd Your people through Your Word. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to bring insight and illumination to your church that your name might be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if it hasn't happened already in just a few weeks, Christmas decorations will show up in all the stores that we frequent. Back when the malls were more popular than Amazon 
if you can remember, windows in each store would have these amazing Christmas displays designed to entice shoppers to look at all the Christmas treasures inside. And when we were dating, Marilyn and I, Marilyn asked me, she called me up and said, you know, could we go Christmas shopping at Tyson's Corner Mall? But instead, it really turned more into window shopping, something I totally do not understand. Um, You just look at things, but you don't buy anything. But we went window shopping. And rarely did we venture into any of the stores to see all the somewhat treasures that were behind these windows. The store, the store owners had it right. Here is a taste of what's inside. And what's inside is better than what you see in the window. It's, 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 it's a treasure. And up to this point in his gospel, Matthew, in a similar way, in his own way, has provided us with a window display of Jesus Christ, his genealogy, his fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and prophecies, his authority over Satan, nature, sickness, disease, and sin, all give us this window into the person of Jesus Christ. But now in this passage, Matthew tells us of the treasure and truth behind the window? What is behind every word that Jesus speaks? What is behind every action that Jesus takes, every healing, every touch with those he encounters? It is what motivated him to become God incarnate. It what motivated him to be willing to suffer and die for us. His motivation was simply and profoundly this that we see in this passage. Christ's love for us. Each of these three sections in this passage, there are, and I will divide it into three sections. Each of these three sections reveal the love of Christ for us. Many, many scholars call the book of Romans the Mount Everest of Paul's theology on the doctrine of justification. And in a similar way, the Gospels are the grand canyon of Christ's love for us that we cannot and will not fully ever comprehend. A person can never fully appreciate or comprehend how deep and how broad and how wide the Grand Canyon is, even when they stand there and see it in person. No picture or video or personal description can do it justice. And then even just standing on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, you you just cannot comprehend how deep and how wide and how broad and how vast it is. And it is the same thing with the love of Christ. How vast and how broad and how deep and how wide. And and our ability to comprehend the depth of Christ's love is limited. And yet Matthew wants us to see this. He, he, He closes this section, what is called a discourse, the first discourse in in Matthew's gospel. He closes it with a reminder of all that Christ has done in verse 35, going throughout all the cities and villages and teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction and and delivering those who are demon-possessed. He closes this section out and he, he gets to what is all behind everything he has done. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. 
And Matthew is trying to help us to some extent comprehend the love of Christ. That is, that is what he wants us to see. And listen, no message and no one passage and no one song can ever fully help us grasp how deep and how wide, how broad and how long and how vast is the love of Christ for us, his creation. And in our passage today, Matthew wants to help us grasp grasp some of that. And he invites us to look beyond the window display and come into the store of the glory of the gospel that we might gain a greater understanding of Christ's love for us. So three points, the effect of Christ's love for us, the depth of Christ's love for us, and the impact of Christ's love on generations to come. First, the effect of Christ's love for us in 935. Matthew repeatedly tells us that Jesus is always among the people. In in verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages and teaching in the synagogues. That is not the first time we read about Jesus going. Verse 423 in in chapter 5, verse 1, in chapter 8, verse 5, and and 814, and 818, and 828, and 91, and 99, and 927, and now here in 935, again and again, Matthew records Jesus is out and about among the people. He is present with people as he is present with us today. But he was physically present among these people. He is the God who became flesh always among the people. It's why, it's why he came to be with us. He didn't come and stand at a distance. He came to come close and to heal and to touch, to care and to save. And in this closing section of his gospel, as Matthew has looked back, constantly recording Jesus' movement among the people, he is capturing what has always been in Jesus' heart. A God so loved the world, love. A God so loved the world, love. Jesus' love for his creation is expressed in taking on human flesh, experiencing the suffering of humanity, suffering himself, bringing healing and hope to humanity, and ultimately saving humanity. And here in 935, we see the effect of Christ's love for us in action. He touches every life he comes across. With a word, he casts out evil spirits from the demon possessed. With a touch, he heals those whose disease is causing them to waste away. He brought to life those who had had died. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He confirms his authority, his divinity, and his humanity through all these works. But it's all because he cares. Because he has great compassion on people. Because he has a great love for his creation. He is the son of God who invaded Satan's realm. In in Christ's kingdom, God has come. And no longer is Satan the uncontested ruler of this world. But he has met his match and then some in Jesus Christ. 
And into our world of hurt and despair, he came expressing his love for us by touching the untouchable and healing the unhealable and delivering the undeliverable. Christ came and it is, it is clear from Matthew's writing that he came because he loves and John tells us in his gospel, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And the way God gave his only son was he sent his only son to dwell among us. Understand how important the incarnation is. Understand that when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating this. We are celebrating Christ going to villages and cities and towns and being among people that he might touch them, that he might heal them, that he might save them. He came. And that is what Matthew is saying. And he came because God so loved the world. Matthew does not want us to just gain information about the Savior, but he wants us to encounter the heart of the Savior. Oh, the, the effect of Christ's love transformed people's lives. The leper was restored back to his family and friends, as was the woman who hemorrhaged blood for 12 years. And a little girl who had died were, was restored back to her family. He gave a man the ability to walk again, to restoring him to a useful life. And he traveled throughout these cities and towns and villages purposely to meet people where they needed him most, healing every disease and affliction. Brothers and sisters, these are expressions of Christ's love. And they, they are dramatic and they are amazing considering that it is our sin, it is sin that caused all this sickness and suffering and death. But the effect of Christ's love goes so much deeper than the physical needs because Jesus came to do something far greater than healing and deliverance. He came to save men and women from their sins. And Matthew lets us know that in chapter 1 when he records, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And he came to do that because God so loved the world. Listen, the greatest miracle of all, the greatest miracle of all, as dramatic and amazing as somebody walking for the first time or the blind seeing or the deaf hearing. It is Christ saving a soul. It is someone being born again. It is encountering the saving grace and love of Christ. That is the greatest miracle of all. And we just saw that happen a few verses earlier in chapter 9 in Matthew's own life as he records his own conversion and as he is communicating, listen, Jesus saved me, a wicked and lost sinner, by meeting my greatest need, my need for forgiveness from my sin. And that, that is the effect of Christ's love for us. 
Matthew doesn't stop there. He wants now to describe the depth of Christ's love for us. Look in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That, that is, and then we, we read the, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Two vivid pictures that capture the depth of Christ's love for us. He was, Jesus was troubled. He was troubled because he saw people as sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless, and a plentiful harvest that needed to be harvested, to, to, to be reaped. And as you, as you read the scriptures and you see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, oftentimes the harvest at the end of the age, what is being reaped as those who go into the kingdom of God and those who go to eternal destruction and death. Two, two directions for the harvest. Jesus says there are laborers, there are people who, who are going to end up in that wrong harvest. And so we need to have laborers into the field. Earnestly pray for those laborers. At the end of the age when Christ returns, there will be a great harvest. And the question is, if you, as you are here today, if you are not following Christ, see the harvest you will be a part of. Christ came to dwell among his people. And he came to save. And if you are apart from God, if you are away from God, this, this passage is to speak to you today. Christ has great compassion on you. You are, you are harassed and you are helpless because you do not have a shepherd in Christ. And yet here is this opportunity to respond to this shepherd this morning. Now, Jesus was moved by the suffering around him, and in his compassion, we read he healed them all. But his divine eyes, his divine eyes saw an infinitely greater need in the lives of those around him, a need that far surpassed the physical needs, a withered arm, a bleeding body, a demon-possessed mind, blind eyes, and deaf ears. He sympathized. Jesus sympathized with physical pain. He, he sympathizes now with physical pain. And he would have been deeply moved had this been their only affliction or our only afflictions. But in seeing the multitude... Jesus sees beyond their physical need to the depth and pervasiveness of sin and the destructive nature of sin, the sin that separates us from God, the sin that, that, has, that, that was in the garden where Adam and Eve said, no, I, I do not want God's way of life. I want my way of life. These people were lost sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has this great compassion for them, a compassion for them that only God could feel. A, not a compassion that we have the ability to feel only to some degree. It's a compassion only God could feel. And he cared for them because it's in his nature to love. Listen, the word compassion here is limited in describing what Jesus is actually feeling. The Greek word here used here to convey 
what Jesus felt in his heart goes far deeper than the word compassion. Imagine the feeling you have as a parent. And if you've been a parent, this has probably happened to you. Imagine the feeling you have as a parent when your child has wandered off and you don't know where they are. The gut-wrenching fear and, that you feel, the love that you have for that child, and, and, and that, that's how deep it goes. And with Christ, it goes far deeper. And, and imagine when your child is sick, you would do anything to take their pain so that they would no longer suffer. That's how Christ feels about us. That's his compassion. This, that's gut-wrenching love. And that is what we see in Christ's compassion for these sheep, these sheep who have no shepherd. It's, it's the motivation behind all that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Trinity does to rescue and to redeem and to restore those suffering under the weight and bondage of sin. This is the depth of the love of Christ. This metaphor of sheep, oh, it, it fits us well. We may not like it, but it's who we are. We have all wandered away from God. We have all stubbornly refused his love and forgiveness. It amazes me that Jesus loves me, a sheep, so deeply. Listen, I, I, I see the sheep on Paul and Lauren's farm. They are loud, they are dirty, they are wanderers, and I totally understand why Paul looks at them as lamb chops. <laughs> I get that. Sheep just, you know, I, 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 I talked to Lauren on a Saturday night one night. Where's Paul? Oh, he's in the woods looking for a sheep that wandered off. Oh, yeah, it's, it's 20 degrees and it's cold out and he's wandering in the woods looking for a sheep. That's love. That's crazy. <laughs> That's my friend. <laughs> Matthew's point to this, to us, is this: He's telling us what he has seen of Christ. He's telling us what he has experienced, what he has heard from Jesus as one of his disciples. Jesus loved and cared for people. And Matthew knew this because he himself was once harassed and helpless, lost in his sin. And this shepherd came and saved him. The heart of the gospel is Jesus' love seen in his shepherding concern for those who are lost. For, and for thus, even today, his shepherding care continues on. In Ezekiel 34, you look back in the Old Testament, God is, is condemning wicked shepherds of Israel who cared nothing for the sheep, nothing for God's people, treating them harshly, feeding themselves rather than feeding the sheep, the people, not helping the weak, or the sick, or the injured, and the sheep become scattered, wandering off into danger, and the shepherds never go seeking after them. And then God sends Christ. Not so Jesus, who is not a wicked shepherd, but a good shepherd. In John, in John chapter 10, we read about this good shepherd, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That is who Jesus is. The good shepherd. He is the shepherd who leads us to green pastures. He is the shepherd who leads us to still waters. He is the shepherd who comforts us and protects us and feeds us and knows us and ultimately lays down his life for us, leading to eternal life. And he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it's why he came, because he had compassion, because he loves his sheep. He loves you. And Matthew wants you to know that. Matthew wants you to see the depth of Christ's love for you. Listen, as a shepherd himself, King David understood the beauty and depth of God's shepherding care, prompting him to write what I consider the most tender psalm in history. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. Oh, that is our shepherd. And now we have a, another vivid picture, and that of the harvest. Jesus implores his disciple, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field to reap the harvest. Why? Because he cares for the harvest. Pray, he says, so that others do not remain harassed and helpless. When Jesus in 937 says that the laborers are few, that is a serious understatement. There were no laborers except for Jesus. And now he chooses, out of a large group of disciples, he chooses 12 specific men to first and foremost go, no, to pray. Pray, he says. Pray to the Lord. Earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. And then as we make our way into chapter 10, he sends them out into the world to show them, to have them show the same love and compassion for the harassed and helpless that Jesus shows for them. And that is our third point, the impact of Christ's love on generations to come. Verse 10, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was 
and who is the leader among these men, the equal among equals, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Debedee, and John his brother, and Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And you know, we can, we can get bored with lists of names, but this list of names is here for a reason. This list of names carries a history. Because as you read, as you move into the book of Acts, you see how this history, how this, this list of men here makes their way throughout the world. And the mission of going out into the harvest because of God's love for the harassed and helpless. These men scatter about. This, this, is the, this is the final expression of God's love for us, Christ's love for us in this passage. His, his love is not just for crowds around him at that time, but also for the generation of crowds to come. Luke, Luke 6.12 tells us that Jesus prayed all night before he chose his inner circle of disciples. He labored in prayer that, that they might they might do the work that he has called them to do. Love motivated Christ to labor in prayer himself in order to see the kingdom of God extended and advanced. So many needed to know this good shepherd. Listen, the choosing and the calling of the 12 is the impact of, of Christ's love on generations to come. Remember in Ephesians 1, 4, Paul writes that you were chosen in Christ before the world began. And he goes on to say, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. But unlike, listen, unlike the men and women in the crowd Jesus encountered, you and I did not come to meet him personally. We did, we did not meet the physical Christ. He had already ascended into heaven. But we met Christ. We met Christ in someone else. We met Christ in in, in an in the person who shared the gospel with us. How did we come to meet Christ? How did we come to know him? Through a laborer. Listen, the calling of these men to gospel ministry is the beginning of the very means God used to bring you to himself. Every person who has ever come to faith in Christ can trace their salvation back to this list of 12 men right here who were the first to go out and begin proclaiming the gospel. You're sitting here today in some way connected to going back to these men who began to go out in mission and share the gospel to those who are harassed and helpless. And you and I were harassed and helpless before we came to know Christ. This list is your history and it's mine. Generations past these men, someone led me to Christ. But it began here as Jesus chose the 12. What an amazing passage of God's love for you. That he would, having chose you before the foundation of the world, having predestined you, he took these 12 men and knew that down through the ages, the men that these touched and the generation they touched and the generation after that that they touched and the generation after that were touched came to you in this generation. Now, this, there's an application for us. There are some applications for us to take away from this passage. The effect of Christ's love, the depth of Christ's love, and the impact of Christ's love on generations to come. Matthew, Matthew never forgot. 
He never forgot how deeply Christ loved him. Look what he writes about himself in 10.3. He says, Matthew, the tax collector. Now, if that had been me writing this gospel, I'm sure I would have left off tax collector. Why describe my sinful past? Why call attention to the vile person that I used to be? And that is exactly what Matthew does. In order to call attention to how deep and how wide and how long and how high and how wide is the love of Christ. Because that is what he experienced. And our sin, brothers and sisters, was no less wicked and no less ugly. And there is a description next to your name. It might have been Larry Malament, the liar. Paul Rohr, the sheep hater. I don't know. I mean, you never, you never know. But there's a description after your name. And so what, what, what can we take away from this passage? First, we must never forget how deep God's love is for us. His, he is love and he continues to love us even when we sin today. He promises to forgive us if we are willing to confess our sin. He promises to help us grow by sending the Holy Spirit. He promises to finish the work he began in us and bring us to a complete salvation. And he promises to bring us to heaven. That's the first thing we can take away from this passage. Never forget the depth of God's love for you. Secondly, there's a harvest around that's plentiful. So many are harassed and helpless. So many have no shepherd. Jesus tells us, tells his disciples to pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the field. That should be our prayer as a church. We should be praying earnestly for one another and we should be praying earnestly that God would send laborers into the field because there is a plentiful harvest. Brothers and sisters, Grace Church exists, it exists that we might grow as disciples, that we might help each other grow as disciples, and that we might make new disciples. Oh, may Grace Church, may our church see conversions in the coming year. May we see men and women come to faith in Christ. And finally, we are the laborers, so let us go. <laughs> let us go into the world. God here, Jesus here gives them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and afflictions and and things have changed we still have Christ's authority when we go because we have the gospel the gospel is the power of God to salvation you want power it's in the gospel it's when you share the gospel it's when you share your life and how Christ has transformed you just as Matthew does here in his gospel brothers and sisters here is a passage that tells us what motivates God towards us is his love. And what should motivate our care for others should be God's love. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that reminds us of the depth of your love as Christ came and gave himself up for us on the cross, dying for our sins that we might come to faith in you. Lord, thank you for extending that saving grace to us through your love. And Lord, may, may we take that love forward. May, may we in the 
grace and power of your authority by your spirit go and care for those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And may, may you give us opportunity to introduce them to the good shepherd. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.